0: Welcome to This Justin, the show bringing you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. And now, for the fastest voice in healthcare, here's your host, Justin Barnes.
1: Thank you for tuning in and welcome to This Justin. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy as always we're broadcasting from this justin studios on the business radio x network as well as the healthcare now radio network for this episode my 266th episode i have a great industry thought leader as well as very insightful ceo dan darazio from sage growth partners what an honor to have you on air my friend how
0: are you oh i'm great justin it's really a privilege to be here thank you Uh, you're
1: great um so for my audience i've actually known um sage and dan for many 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 years um but uh, in the early days i actually really wanted to work with them but we were competing in my company at the time greenway was competing with uh one of the companies that um dan uh, advised and they were doing very well and uh and just had a great market strategy we ended up taking them over which was good in the long run but um but uh you know it was uh, just seeing what dan's team did i had a strong affinity for you, Dan, personally, for what your team did, uh, and um, and then finally, in the my latter years of my uh, my career, I've been able to work with you now a co- with a few of my companies, and so it's been a, a you know great privilege to get to know you personally, um, just what you guys bring to the market. I look forward to you know sharing that with my audience, but really, you know, you guys are the best of the best when it comes to healthcare and strategy and marketing, go to market, uh, and and thought leadership. So. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation, but thank you again for joining me, my friend.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for the kind words. I too am glad we're, have been on the same side. Um, That's been a lot more fun.
1: (laughs) Very, very true, my friend. So um, just for my audience sake, um, where'd you grow up, attend school, college, all that good stuff?
0: Yeah, so I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is the suburbs of Philly. So my parents are from South Philly, and decided they wanted to raise their kids in the burbs. Um, I went to undergrad at Georgetown, and then, so I spent time in D.C., and then I got my MBA at at Johns Hopkins.
1: Excellent. Those are some great schools. (laughs) So um, how'd you find your way into
0: healthcare? Well, this is what I call definitely not the straight line. (laughs) And... I share this with a lot of folks, especially who are younger in their career, or even at a point in their career, I'm spending more time with people who are my age, sort of maybe what we'll call middle age, and they they've gotten to a certain point and they feel stuck. So here's how I got to healthcare. I came from a family business. My my dad was a cheesemaker in Philadelphia. And eventually he and his brother started a pasta manufacturing business. So I grew up in, in and around business in the cheese shop and then the pasta factory on summers and and breaks what i learned from my dad was that i had to follow passion my father went to college at a time he's 86 right now growing up in south philly at a time when not many people around him did so he went to la salle university and got into after graduation what was then strawberry and clothier for those who are familiar with that area it's sort of the modern day macy's and Mm -hmm. he was in the management training program and his father died, and he got forced into the family business, in essence, making cheese in a basement with a college degree.
1: Mm.
0: And while he was able to grow a business, he eventually had to be in business with his brother, and sometimes those dynamics are not great, Yes. Yeah. but he had a high intellect and a passion for learning, and he never really got to be what he wanted to be. It was good for our family, uh, eventually, after many trials and tribulations in the business, but he mm. always told us follow your passion, find something you'll love and you won't feel like it's work. So where did that leave me? I was an international politics major in the School of Foreign Service in Georgetown. But while I was there, service was incredibly important to me. So I did a lot of volunteer work. I did prison tutoring. I ultimately interned with the public defender doing crazy things like serving subpoenas and frankly, almost getting my tail kicked because I thought what they did on TV is what you're supposed to do. And the the lead investigator said, son, don't ever do that again. (laughs) So... I um that led me to a career fair and I wound up in Baltimore working with at risk kids. Um uh, and I I did that for 9 years and I moved from working on the street level to management to sort of middle level management to senior management. In that process I went to business school because I realized that nonprofits while a business didn't understand that. Frankly we see a lot of that in healthcare, right? Some of these decisions that folks are making and even in HIT yeah. Uh, there's some thinking that goes across. Forget your tax status, nonprofit, for profit. It's how you think about the world and the market. So that led me to business school, and and one of the folks who started this firm, I was the first employee 17 years ago. Wow. So that's how I wound up in healthcare. I've I've had basically two jobs in my life, 23 years in.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's miraculous. But no, that's a great story, my friend. I, we've ever, you never told me that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Very cool. Um, no, I wish I I have a similar a similar story in a way of working with my family. I come from my family; they don't they don't get a, along with a whole lot of people, so they all have their own companies. <laughs> they can't yeah. work for anybody. <laughs> so they all have like I think we have like hundred something companies in my family at, at, at some point. But um, but, but the bottom line is I remember doing um, tarring was one of the summer jobs that I did because my oh, family had a wow. roofing company. Yeah, and, and tarring in the in in roofing in, in July. <laughs> <laughs> in massachusetts is is brutal it's even worse probably in florida where i live now but um but yeah it was pretty brutal so i think that a couple of days in the job there i was absolutely going to college and i was absolutely <laughs> a, a little bit different of a, of a career path than uh, oh. being, a, being a roofer how hard those those people work my goodness Oh, they working
0: they work incredibly hard what, what my dad told me was people used to come in the store and these were very blue-collar folks and yes and he he used to say this one guy with his voice hey kid from here down, and he would point to the rest of your body, you can make X. And then he would point from the head up and say, from here up, you can do anything. Amen.
1: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Good advice. Sage advice. Um, so give us a you know real quick uh, overview, one to two minutes on Sage Growth Partners. Obviously, I know it very well, but for my audience and for everyone, please let share.
0: Yeah, thank you. We're exclusively focused in healthcare, and our whole mission is helping our partners grow. What does that mean? Help their commercial Acceleration. So we're working with tech services, tech-enabled services, device companies whose end markets are payer, provider, employer, and life science. And what we're doing for them is, at the core, helping them understand their true identity. What we mean by that is, what's their unique parcel of ground? What is different and unique about them? And that's actually difficult for some people to get to. The next part about that is, how do you cleanly identify? Uh, Communicate your position in a very crowded market Mm -hmm. where lines are blurred and people love using big words that don't make a lot of sense when you put them together. Once we have that, it's about your go-to market. There's a lot of paths to market. People say, "Oh, I sell to payers. I sell to providers." Well, there's so much texture in that landscape, and if you think about a map, you know, you you look at a. a flat map. And you can all, we can all remember when we were in school, those sort of multidimensional maps where you could mm-hmm. touch and feel, I don't remember the name of them, but that's what go-to-market is. There's, there's a lot of texture and it's not about firmographics and demographics. It's, it's a true unpacking of your differentiation and then how you think about the market and and how the market will receive value from you. So we spend a lot of time there and then it's about how does the world know about me? How do I create trust in the market and build awareness and ev- eventually demand? And then we spend a lot of time with sales teams because selling in healthcare is incredibly difficult and it's, it's really helping the consultative process. And as I tell people, it's really about the questions, not the answers. And I think more and more mm-hmm. people get product focused and they're worried. They're actually, I think more scared about the right question and they focus too much on, you know, what's the answer I'm going to give back. So that's what we're doing to help them grow. And we're working with companies from first institutional events, uh, investment, growth equity in large corporates and in publics. And so the likes of Best Buy Health, GE Healthcare, Philips, uh, Quest Diagnostics, those are the names that, you know, When I ask, when my family asks me what we do 17 years later, they still don't really understand it, but, um, they, they know there's Best Buy and then they go, and why is Best Buy in healthcare? And I explain it and they go, oh, that makes sense. But there's a ton of these other companies in this growth equity stage and early stage that are doing really good work. And we're spending time with them, helping them find their way and grow. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And you do a phenomenal job at it as well. So what, um, what makes you guys the best? What's
0: your secret sauce?
1: Would you say?
0: It's a good question. I'll, I think I'll first talk about how we're built. And this has happened over time. We've been around for 17 years. For 12 or 13 of those years, we implemented technology into healthcare. And that's incredibly difficult. It puts you on the ground. And so you have to go from, wow, this is a great idea. This is going to revolutionize healthcare, to having to understand what a workflow means. And what interoperability means. So many of our folks came from that world, me included. And I was in and around that work with our team for years. And so while we don't do that anymore, it has shaped us. We've carried that forward. So the next component of our business sort of capabilities is market research. And Mm -hmm. These markets, as one of our clients said, are vicious truth tellers. And it's one thing to read a report that an analyst puts out. It's another thing to truly do primary research and understand what people are thinking. It's yet another thing to do quantitative research to validate those thoughts. And while research is not foolproof and it's not a formula it it puts you into that texture I was talking about that you really have to understand. So market research grounds everything we do, but it's in service of commercialization. So while we do a lot of thought leadership, it's not for writing reports and syndicating them. It's truly unpacking the market. So then that informs that go-to-market component. And because the markets are so vicious, We are incredibly suspicious of everything we see. And it's not because we don't believe our partners or we don't think they can change the future. It's just that there have been a lot of good ideas that wind up in a graveyard because the way healthcare is constructed and paid for and governed does not allow things to happen like other markets. So that's where that strategy component comes in. And just in years later, we built a marketing agency. And so we were doing the go-to-market work and our clients would say to us, we're having challenges translating this with our really talented agency partners who just don't spend enough time in healthcare or or are dabbling in healthcare. And and even for us who do this full-time, you can't be a tourist. Mm -hmm. So I think part of our secret sauce is because we've come from the ground up with that implementation view. And then that primary research to the go to market, the then knowing what to, to communicate and bring unique thought to the market with marketing. And, and we've been adding on finally the sales enablement, helping people understand how to sell to their customers. And we have this line that we love, it's not ours, but people don't buy when they understand, they buy when they're understood. Mm-hmm. And we have to enable our partners to be in their shoes because that's when that person becomes an advocate for you if you're trying to sell them because they have to run back in their organization and be there when you're not. And, and what I call fight for primacy of your solution of all the other things. So we've been called. I remember we were pitching a big tele- medicine telehealth company years ago and, and the CEO said to us, you guys are an odd bird. <laughs> and it's one of those moments you go, oh, I don't know where this is gonna go. And he said, I mean it with affection. I've not typically right. seen these kind of capabilities in one place. And I think it's, it's look, anyone could probably put research strategy and marketing together, but I think it's our worldview. And, and the folks on our team have come from payer, provider, tech, consulting, operations. And they bring that to work every day on behalf of our clients. And really, Justin, I think the thing we all lose sight of, because it's so hard to commercialize, we're working with amazing companies that are mm-hmm. really making a change in people's lives. So we always have to remind ourselves, God, it's hard to do this. But on the other side of this, it's important and powerful.
1: And those, yeah, I totally agree. And for those that may have just a little late today, my special guest is Dan D'Arazio, CEO of Sage Growth Partners. So no, and I I totally agree with you, Dan, and I I see how, you know, what you guys bring and and how you've been able to help my companies, various companies. And so um, obviously what you're doing works and the way you align with organizations, you align with the the leadership, you align with the the, uh, sales, you align with the marketing. um, It comes together very well. And I, you know, you describe your secret sauce (laughs) perfectly. So you. you also do a lot of very insightful thought leadership. So what are a few areas or topics that you find the market reacts to the most or absorbs the best?
0: Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting question. There was a study, it's four or five years running from Edelman and LinkedIn, they've partnered on this. And everyone talks about thought leadership, but they've gone down the path of identifying what's the impact of thought leadership. And they've studied it and they've put data to it. And it's powerful and telling. The fourth year that they did the study was during the pandemic. And it was really powerful to see that actually during the pandemic, people were doing and and looking at thought leadership even more and it influences RFPs. Good thought leadership influences trust in a brand. And so the question becomes, how do you get there? I'll answer that and then I'll talk about the different kinds of audiences. The first thing is, we believe you cannot put a new frame around old thinking and call it thought leadership, right? So you can't just do a, what we call a lit review of lit reviews. Mm-hmm. It it has to add to the market's knowledge. And I'll give you a really good example. We worked with um, a company in the scheduling space years ago, and they said, "Hey, we're really good at helping people stop overtime and nurse turnover and agency costs." And we said, "Okay, true." but that's what everyone talks about. Let's get into the research. And here's what we found, Justin, a couple of these nuggets, which changed the way they communicated their value because they could solve that problem. The first thing is the minute a nurse works more than 40 hours, he or she is three times as likely to commit a medical error. Now, 50% of nurses work more than 40 hours. Absolutely. So what does that mean? We actually have deadly weapons walking around our units because they're tired we don't need unforced medical errors more than the rate we have right we're we're not exactly safe in healthcare. but if i know through my solution or my technology i can actually schedule differently i can manage shifts differently i have the ability to impact quality and safety but if people are saying well hey i'm just going to go uh help you schedule better and they haven't made the connection and it's in the literature that tired nurses are deadly weapons Mm -hmm. that's new thinking, right? It's not new research, it's not connected. So you have to look for the connections between some of these areas and help bring them together. The second thing is in healthcare, we try to over industrialize stuff. And I'm not talking about the amazing medical breakthroughs of the technology, but we don't do the basics well and i think people are trying to run to the hills of language uh that is often just what we call a distinction without a difference right they're they're using fancy words just speak about the problem solve basic problems i i like to say we don't need futurists in healthcare and i only mean that slightly because we need people to think ahead but but the fax machine, the technology was created in the 40s and grew in the 80s and still 80% of hospitals use it today. Right. So what does that tell you? It means we still haven't solved an interoperability problem. It's It tells us that it's still a use case and we can talk all about it and how we hate it. and, and mm-hmm. But until we can fix that problem, we have to solve for the basics. And I joke that we have all this machine learning. What we really need is fax machine learning because that's still <laughs> the way that information is communicated so the basics are incredibly important and you have to find the nuances and then you asked about audiences i think audiences care about different things we do a lot of work with investors Mm -hmm. when we bring data to the market and we look for the nuances in it they consume it tremendously they don't consume they consume it at a rate far more than a payer or provider executive would so then if we're Talking to our audience, you really have to know who you're speaking with and what's on their mind and what pains they have. Everything we do emanates from what pain is there in the market and how do we solve for that? And so I think you have to go from the position of pain. You have to be basic and not try to use fancy words. And then you have to find the nuances.
1: I completely agree. I love it. Um, Kind of following this a little bit, what are some of the best practices that you might share? So not just with thought leadership, but overall in general, kind of like an open-ended question. You, you yeah. touch a lot of C-suite executives, and we have you know majority of my listenership are CEOs and senior leaders in organizations. So what would you uh, what would you share with them from best practices in the industry?
0: There's two sets of questions or approaches that I often think about. The first one is, and this is not mine. Actually got this from uh, a mentor, Tom Zajac, who's been in healthcare for a long time. I know Tom, though, yeah, yeah, really, really bright guy. He always said there were the three Ys: Why, X, meaning category mm-hmm. or solution. Why now? How do we get urgency and you know primacy for the solution? And then why me? Meaning why a particular brand? And I think many folks run to the market and say, in the wrong order, look at me. So they answer the why me question. And what they're not thinking about is why do I even need X and what problem does X solve? And then how does X compete? And most people think about direct competitors, which we understand, but how does it compete with all the indirect competitors? And so what do I mean by that? We have a lot of clients who are fortunate to be in a best-in-class category, and they've worked really hard for that. And mm-hmm. I, I pat them on the back quickly and say, okay, get over that. And they look at me a little sideways, and I say, let's go to that website or any of these other agencies, and let's now bring up all of the best-in-class categories. Because what you're really competing with is not only your category, but mind share, wallet share, and market share for all these other best-in-class categories. Right. And then you're competing with all the people in those categories because there's only so much time and attention and money in a buyer's um, capability set, right? Even the decision-making that happens in healthcare. I don't know, there's 14 different decision-makers. Good luck getting everyone on board. So I think you have to answer the question why X and Y now first. Then you have to be able to distinguish and prove the promises that you make, right? And And a lot of people have fallen short on what we call the proof. And more than ever, proof is required in healthcare. It's also incredibly difficult because there's asymmetric information that no one's got access to all the data they need. So I think that's the three whys is the first one. The second underpinning for us is use case, workflow, health economics. So use case, again, goes back to what problems am I solving? In healthcare, workflow matters, whether it's a service, or a technology, or something with a device. Just in remote monitoring has been around for years. And 11, 12 years ago, we worked on behalf of St. Jude, now part of Abbott, mm-hmm. on implantable cardiac devices that could be remotely monitored. They would generate clinical data from inside someone's chest, as long as they were sleeping next to a bed, that would then communicate that data to a provider. Well, prior to the pandemic, we probably had 30 or 40% adoption and CMS was paying more for a remote visit in 2011 than they were for an in-person visit. You just shake your head and say, what was, is that even true? Mm -hmm. But the problem was not the technology. Where does the data go? Who catches it? Who looks at it every day? What are the medical legal liabilities? Who intervenes? Who calls the patient? Who takes the call from the patient? And so if if we don't unpack that workflow, even if you have the best use case, it doesn't matter. And the third underpinning is health economics, follow the money. We have a lot of situations where literally the payer, and I don't mean just insurance companies, the person paying or the person benefiting uh, or the person benefiting is not the person that we ultimately want to benefit. And so there's a lot of unnatural relationships around the economics and healthcare, And if you don't account for all three of those, it's very hard to commercialize. And so I think you have to really be thoughtful about each of those, in addition to those three whys. Yep.
1: I love it. No, I, I completely agree. And, and you're spot on when we're, you know, how we need to think as leaders of organizations, where we're taking our companies, when you're starting off building a business, what do you need to tackle? You know, what are some of the points that you just want to make sure that you have articulated before you go to market? And that's, again, that's why, I love working with you guys. We're almost at time. Um, yes. So obviously I need to have you back on air. We have a lot more to cover uh, and we will, but um, we'll, what is, what's real quickly in the next uh, 20 seconds or so, what are a couple conferences you're coming up, t- up to uh, this year? I'll obviously see you at health in November, correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually headed to a home care conference next week. Home is where everyone's going. Okay. It's not going to be easy. I think uh, during the pandemic, everyone said, this is a good idea. It's hard to operationalize, but that's a big one. Mm-hmm. And HFMA, revenue mm-hmm. cycle is really hard. Yes. Uh, and then obviously uh, some of the other conferences we all go to, but I think more and more of the specialty conferences are interesting because people are trying to really focus in, in their areas. Yeah.
1: Okay. No, great. And I, I know um, we'll circle back here soon, my friend. I certainly want to have you back on air, uh, but thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to join us, Dan.
0: Justin, thank you for having me. Um, it's it's great to work with you and and glad to have the chance to share some thoughts.
1: Yeah, and we'll do it again, I promise. No,
0: all right, take care. Very,
1: very insightful. And thank you Thanks. for everyone and taking time out of their schedules to join us. Um, as as you all know, please tune in weekdays at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. As always, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustinRadio so we can respond to your comments from the show. If you missed any of this episode or want to hear more, all my shows are posted at iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. Also, you can check out some of the new content we posted on JustinBarnes.com. Thanks everyone for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Stay safe. Take care.